There's a story inside every smoke shop, with every cigar, and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle of Boveda. This is Box Press. Hey everyone, Rob Gagne here with Boveda. I'm out fishing with Jeff Haugen from Crux Cigars. Hello, hello. We are going to have a good episode of Box Press today, but fair warning for all of you listening out on podcast land, you might want to switch over to YouTube because right now we got fish on the line. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we got lines in and we're going to try to catch fish, but it's going to be a cool episode where we possibly might catch a great northern or a musky. No, we're, we're actually just bass fishing. Ooh, I, I felt something. Oh, anyways, stay tuned. We might catch a fish. All right, Jeff, I got to ask, what's the best way to start the day? Best way to start my day? Yeah. I start every day with a, a cup of Baileys and coffee. Really? Every day. Baileys and coffee? Baileys and coffee. That's how I start my day. Nice. Kind of coast my palate, and then I go for an Epicure, Crux Epicure. Really? Yeah. Nice. That's what I do. You like the cream in your coffee? I like a little cream in the coffee. Nice. Just Baileys. Just Baileys? <laughs> not not like, like Baileys. regular cream or right. milk or I don't like any of the substitutes. Or just a good black coffee works too. But I just drink coffee in the morning. Years ago, I would start the day. I would and I would end the day with coffee. You got fish? No, I got a weed. Got a weed. That's a nice, <laughs> a nice weed. <laughs> yep. Now, now, I only drink coffee at my house before I leave in the morning. But I drink a pot of coffee. Really? That's it. I drink a pot of coffee before I leave. That's it. No coffee the rest of the day. Why is that? Why did you switch? I couldn't stop. I drank coffee all day long. I got a bite. Did you? You got to get your line in. Oh, that's in. Felt the bite. Just, I was looking. I'm looking at the. Felt pretty aggressive. Equipment. I'm looking at a monster fish here. <laughs> is that what you see? I just see a bunch of lines. It may not be indigenous to Minnesota. <laughs> may have been brought in. I'm gonna get it. You coffee drinker? Yeah, I love coffee. I love it too. You drink it all day? No. I try to just do it in the morning. I only do one cup. One cup. But I'm I'm one of those fancy cup guys. You know, I got like the AeroPress or the pour over or the French press. I don't have a pot of coffee. Like I don't have a coffee maker. You do a French press? Yeah. French. I've really gotten into the AeroPress. Wee wee. Wee 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 wee. I bought myself a Mocha Master. Oh yeah. And uh, everyone, every, everyone I said that was a chef said you got to buy that Mocha Master because it's all, it's all like uh, hey I caught some some weed. Woo. Um, you know the, the guts are all uh, copper. It's all built by hand, all that kind of stuff. But what I quickly realized it really doesn't matter because I've also had good coffee in the Dominican Republic Yeah, at somebody's house where they take a, a dirty old tube sock, put coffee in it, and they <laughs> pour some hot water through it. And that was a good cup of coffee too. So I don't know. Tube sock coffee coming yeah. at you from tube. the next uh, next barista near we, you. I think we do that. I think we try it out and just say, okay, we're not going to do dirty tube socks. But we're going to do like I'm down to try the tube sock idea because really. That's all you need. You need a little, we'll build out of a coat hanger, a tube sock, 
and then uh, we'll get some. You bring the coffee because you're a coffee snob. Mm. I can do that. Do you just go with the regular old Folgers or something like that? Costco. 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 Good, good coffee. Colombian. You get like a hundred pounds of it for six bucks. <laughs> <laughs> buy it by the pallet. Well, now we know how you start your day. That's great. Cup of coffee, a little Bailey's. Well, actually a whole pot of coffee. It's a whole pot of coffee. But not a whole bottle of Bailey's. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, got a little bite. Could yeah. be a weed. I don't really when know When you feel them bite, or even if it is a weed, it's still kind of exhilarating. It's like, ooh, oh. you're down there. Makes you feel alive, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, odd question, but if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with all that extra time? If you didn't have to sleep at all, if you got eight, ten hours back, what would you do? I don't sleep a lot to begin with. All right, see. I only sleep like six hours a night. All right, so if you get six hours back, never had to sleep what would you do at that time i think i think maybe i'd get in shape get in shape yeah you work out during that's the time. hours i need that's what's <laughs> keeping me from from being another 25 pounds lighter is that six hours that i that's sleep six hours yeah so if somebody could make something that keep me up another six hours in the morning Bailey's has nothing to do with that no that's, no. no that's lubrication to get the day going but. <laughs> No, I should work out. I got a good workout home. My wife works out seven days a week. I think if I could do... She works I, out enough for both of us. Yeah? Yeah. Both of you. And maybe I'd volunteer a little bit. Yeah? I would. I've thought about that for years. Volunteer you know, a little bit? Volunteer. Where would you volunteer? Anywhere? I'd love to volunteer at children's hospitals. Children's Something I've hospitals. always wanted to do. Yeah. So maybe once this COVID thing's over, maybe, maybe we start doing it. How about I'm you? I'm down. Yeah. I, would, I think I would try playing the guitar. Yeah. Playing an instrument. Because that could entertain you for a good couple hours once you get good at it. Uh, yeah. And then I, I, I kind of like the volunteer thing because that would be nice. But if I were stuck at like just doing stuff at night, I'd probably play the guitar and read more. Because both of those things, I feel like I never, they're things that I want to do, but I never get, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I got to go to bed. Well, I found myself when I was younger. In my 20s and early 30s, I'd read for one hour every morning. That's actually how I started the day. Really? I'd read every every day. Whoa. Whoa. You got one. Got a fish. Big huge. Fish. With a weed. With a weed on it. Um, yeah, I used to read a lot. And uh, so you... I, I can appreciate that. Guitar's on my list. I have a guitar. I've never played it. Um, Play the piano a little bit more. Oh, you I used know to, play to play the that? piano when I was younger. Nice. I'm not good, but I used to play. My dad, my grandfather was a piano teacher. Really? My great grandfather was a cigar roller up in Cold Spring, Minnesota. <laughs> he did that during the day, and at night he'd uh, he'd carve tombstones. Wow. And my dad was in the piano business his whole life. He worked for Kawaii, Baldwin, Yamaha, Steinway, all major brands. He owned some piano stores in the Twin Cities area. And uh, so I grew up around pianos my whole life. I should be better at it. 
You got one in your house now? I just have a like a Roland uh, digital piano. Mm -hmm. My dad was one of those guys that I remember as a kid. I'd, I'd lay underneath the piano, and he would he did he couldn't he couldn't read music even though his dad was a piano teacher. My dad couldn't read any music, but he'd go to the, he'd go he, back then he had like reel to reels and. He would listen to a song, he'd back it up, he'd listen to it again, back it up, he'd jump down on the piano and he'd wail out that tune. Like he could just, wow. he just could do it all. I mean, it was incredible. So he could listen to it and play He'd back. listen to it and within five minutes he'd know the song. So it's not like he didn't know the chord progressions or anything like that, it's just he couldn't read the sheet music. Couldn't read sheet music, yep. So did you ever try to sell pianos with your dad? No. No? Well, no. When I was in high school, I'd go to his stores and I'd clean the pianos. So you never sold the pianos, you'd go and clean them? I was too young, I didn't. I mean, he had sales guys. I mean, you're selling $100,000 instruments sometimes, you know? I was, I was the guy that wiped the dust off the pianos. <laughs> I was good at that. It's an important role. I mean, I don't know that I was good at it. You don't? He would say, great job, but I, I'm sure I missed some spots. So then, is there a job that you know you were terrible at? Like. You just know, you're like, I wasn't so good at this job. I'm not very good at this. Well, I only had a few jobs before I actually got in the cigar business. My first job, I was a stripper. <laughs> and uh, I would strip paint and varnish off of furniture. Oh, yeah. that kind. Oh. oh, yeah, your mind went somewhere else with that. But, you know, <laughs> but we worked. That was when I was 15 years old, and we worked under... Uh, we had 600 gallon tanks of methylene chloride, which is, you know, if you take zip strip, uh, I think by law I can't have more than 18% of that. And this was 100%. So we would, we'd dip the furniture, it would melt everything off. You'd scrub it with wire brushes, brass brushes, and, and like Brillo pads and things, and in the nooks and corners if they had like intricate legs. And then you'd take it out and you'd rinse it off and then you would, Dunk it in a bleach tank, rinse it off again, and then refinish it. That was my first job. Nice. It was terrible. Terrible job. I wasn't bad at the job. It was just, it was a painful just a job. job. No ventilation, breathing that stuff in. Oh. No, no mass. Oh no. No. Shop was 110 degrees in it. I think the owner of that cup. I did that one summer. And I said, I'll never do it again, because then I went and played, I'd go play football, and I couldn't, I couldn't run. I couldn't run a quarter mile. Oh, sure. Because my lungs were burned out. But uh, I think that guy made it another five years before he died. <laughs> Something like that. Wow. No, it was true. It was bad. Just it was bad. extreme it was bad. chemicals. Yeah. Well, then maybe, you know, is there a job that you know you'd be terrible at? Like, even if you didn't work it. Like, uh, oh, yeah, there's, no, I wouldn't there's all sorts of things I already know I'm terrible at. Yeah. Well, what's the top one that comes to mind? That'd really be terrible? I, I don't know. I'd be a terrible politician. I know. Couldn't I, tell a lie to save your life. I, I just couldn't be a politician. Yeah, no. I, I'd be horrible at the mind. Well, you gotta, you gotta, you just, it's part of the game, you know? You need right. money to fund your campaign. Can't come out of your own pocket. I mean, it can, but most people aren't going to get into politics to fund it themselves. Right. So it's that fuel's got to come from somewhere, and unfortunately, a lot of times you have to sell some of your soul to get that money. You know, you got to go against the grain of some of your own beliefs. Yep. 
you know, there's some exceptions to that. There's some politicians that I think are some exceptions, but you know, it's a, that's a tough game. That's why you don't see a lot of super high quality people in there anymore. Yeah, what do we got here? That one's a swim jig, so just cast it out, uh -huh. twitch it every now and then, just straight reel it, give it a twitch, you'll, oh, be, you'll be dialed. Look at that! Dialed in! So we're definitely not fishing the old-fashioned way because we got sonar and trolling motors and all sorts of good rigs. But what is maybe one thing that you absolutely have to do the old-fashioned way? I feel, it's far, I feel it's hard to do anything the old-fashioned way because everything's been improved. True. Anything you're using, it gets improved. The equipment gets improved. Absolutely. You know? Like even like I love smoking. Like I love barbecue. Yeah. So, so I love smoking. You know, but meat. But I but I use a pellet smoker. I mean, because it's very consistent. It's guaranteed sure. perfect every time. You know. So that wouldn't be considered doing it the old-fashioned. That's way. not old-fashioned. Yeah, old-fashioned would be. But if you do go to a barbecue house and they have one of those big smokers. Oh, Do you they think don't. there's a difference? No. You don't? No. <laughs> I don't. Not at all. I really don't. I think meat, I think the more consistently, more consistent temperature you can cook meat, the better off you're going to be. Sure. But the guys that know how to use a, you know, a fire smoker, I mean, they, or they use charcoal or whatever, they, they know what they're doing. That's a lot of years of... Uh, Practice? Mm-hmm. Kind of like fishing? Practice? You need practice? I think when I decide to get back in shape, though, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> like Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Chop wood, run steps. Oh, yeah, run steps, lift tires. Yeah. Pick up concrete. Any cabin in the woods? Wrestle a bear. I mean, who needs the new Bowflex 9000? You don't need all that stuff. No, nah, yeah. I mean, go, maybe go work on a farm. Yeah. You want to get big and strong? Work on a farm. Best restaurant or place you've ever had a cigar and describe the ambiance. Set the scene. <laughs> sounds, sounds kind of snotty. My, my best cigar experience was actually in uh, Stockholm, Sweden. Stockholm, Sweden. A restaurant called the Opera House. I used to travel with my stepfather. My stepfather was on the International Board for Infectious Diseases and Pediatrics. So I was kind of his travel buddy before I got married in my 20s and 30s. And we went to uh, this restaurant. He told me to order a bottle of wine. I did. It was a whatever year, 1997 or whatever, Chateau Latour, which wasn't, wasn't on the menu. Oh. Um, but they had it. It was expensive. We smoked some, actually Cuban cigars that day. But I think, like all my best cigars, it's always with the people I want to be with. It's definitely more situational. Yeah. Like people say, our best cigar I ever had was sitting on a beach. Well, yeah, you're on vacation and you're doing what you want to do. Right. But that was a, we had a great meal. What kind of restaurant was it? It was, uh, it was kind of an international cuisine. And it was uh, probably the most expensive meal I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was at a time I was in my 20s where, uh, you know, the amount that this bill came to, 
I mean, a bottle of wine alone was $2,500. Oh! And I was like, gosh, what I could do with that $2,500. Right. Was not eat a meal or drink well, a bottle of wine. But I'll never forget it. And I don't think it was because of the amount of money he paid for it. But it was just one of the best conversations I had with my stepfather before he passed away. And, wow. You know, that's what's great about food and cigars is it brings out real conversation, you know. Yeah. Nice. In cigar shops, it brings out some of that. It brings out everything else you don't want to know about somebody, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, at least when you're casting in a weed, you feel like maybe you got a bite or something. Oh, yeah. It feels good. What was your favorite restaurant, Rob? Well, my favorite cigar moment? Mm-hmm. I'd have to agree with you on it's more or less the company that you have and the story behind it. And it really was a situation where my buddy had just brought back some Cubans from mm-hmm. South America and we were in all places we were in Fargo Fargo yeah at a place I think you know JT Tobacconist <laughs> uh, so yeah he uh, he said hey you gotta come smoke this you're the only guy I know that enjoys great cigars like this Monte Cristo number two. Some of the best cigars you've ever had, you know, Cubans, sometimes they can be horrible, but these ones were perfect. When you get a when you get a great one, they are great. Yeah. And like you said, it was more or less the conversation because then we were talking about his volunteering in South America and you know, it was just it was epic because it was the middle of winter. Fargo was snow packed, you know, twelve mm-hmm. you know, twelve inches at all times on the ground. Mm-hmm. And you got out of the cold and into this nice warm bar slash cigar shop and had a nice drink and smoked a great cigar, had good conversation. It was just like perfect. So I don't know if the ambiance was the cigar or the conversation, but I think both of them played hand in hand and I think it was just made for an epic night for us. And yeah. I think everybody remembers their, their first cigar they had and they remember the first Cuban they had. Yeah. I'm sure they remember the first anything else, but... How do you like to spend your weekends now as a father? Well, as much time with the kids as I can. Yeah? Yeah. Quality time, just anything and everything they want to do? Yeah, just being with them. Ooh, what do you got there? I think I got a weed. Big one. Big weed. What are we going to do with all these fish? Oh, man. We'll have to flam up and eat them quick. Shore lunch oh, coming at you. There you go. Oh, yeah. Look at that bass. Woo! We're on board, boys. The yeah. ringleader gets it. Oh, that's beauty. Look at that bad boy. I'm not going to win any tournaments with that one, but. Still we're, fish. We're off the schnei. Yeah, good job. Nice. Good job. These are the kind of fish I'm catching today. Weed fish? Weed fish. Well, Jeff, I know you got a lucky streak, so let's use it. 
I know every time you go out to Vegas, you always end up pulling in more than you came with. I, I've done okay out there. What, uh... You want to know my secret? Yeah. Don't gamble a lot. Don't gamble a lot? No. Only when you go out there? Just when you're feeling it. When you're feeling it? Only when you're feeling it. Okay. If you go out there and jump at a table just because you feel like you have to, you'll lose every time. You got to feel it. Got to feel it. Whether it's a table, a machine. That's been my, that's been my success. So limit the gambling to when you're in the moment. You gotta feel it. You gotta feel it. So what would you say the luckiest time is you've ever had? One of the luckiest, so I was with a group of guys. We were there for an, IPC, an old IPCPR convention. It's maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. And the first day we were there, everybody wanted to gamble. I wasn't feeling it, but I said, oh, fine, I'll go, I'll go gamble. Oh, you broke your rule. I broke my rule. And I played probably eight different games, and I lost at every single game. <laughs> you know, like the, you know, like the movie uh, Vegas Vacation? Mm-hmm. I did all those games. You know, pick a number between one and yeah. ten. I mean, I didn't do that, but I lost at everything. And, and it, not a lot, but I was down like, I think I was down like 800 bucks for the day. I, I couldn't win a hand. I couldn't win anything. So I left. I said, I'm done. I went and got something to eat. I was going back to my room. And right before the elevator was standing at the Venetian, I saw this slot machine with big elephants on there. And I said, elephants? I gotta go play the elephant machine. Third pole on the elephant machine, I won $900. Oh. I cashed it out, I was even for the day. <laughs> and I, I probably went to that machine another five, six times, pulled eight, $900 out of it every time. Every time? Every time. It's the elephant machine that week. But I had to feel it. Yeah. I saw the guys coming out of the, they were coming out of the elevator, it was about midnight, I was going up for the night, and it was <laughs> Justin Niederman and Ohm and all those guys, Rick Baker, manages Tobacco Grove, and, uh, uh-oh, hope I don't got you there. Yeah? Sorry. And I told him I've been winning at this elephant machine, I said, well, guys, why don't we go to this elephant machine and do a community, everybody throws in 20 bucks. We sit at the machine. You know, Ohm and his analytics, he pulls up the information <laughs> on the machine. He goes, ah, it was a terrible odd machine. I go, I'm telling you, every time I put 20 bucks in this machine, I win eight, 900 bucks. I couldn't get anybody to go community with me. I said, see, here's what you do. You put 20 bucks in, I hit it three times. It paid me another 600 bucks. <laughs> and they're all like, you gotta be kidding me. I go, I'm telling you. I cash out, I go, good night. It wasn't two minutes I was there. I pulled another 600 bucks out of that machine. Went to bed, those guys partied all night. I saw them the next day, I go, how you doing? They go, you stupid elephant machine. <laughs> they went and partied and drank, then they went and hit that elephant machine. They didn't win one thing. Not the right machine for them. Well, not the right, they didn't feel it. You gotta feel, feel it. it. When you gamble with your friends, you play card games or you play like uh, pie gal. Cause even if you're not feeling it, you can play pie gal for two hours and not lose a lot of money. There's so many pushes in that game. You ever play Pi Gal? No. I'll teach you. This isn't gonna be like the time you tried to teach me how to play Tonk? Did you did you lose money? Yeah. Yeah, I'll teach you this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach it to you. Well, this is a friend game, huh? This is the one where yeah, I give I you mean, my listen, money. Anytime you learn a game, it's gonna be a cost. <laughs> sometimes it's time, sometimes it's money. Sometimes oh. it's both. True.
True, true. What is something you think everyone should do at least once in their life? At least once. Once in their life. Wow, you got some good questions. You ask everybody all these good questions? No, I just save them for the good people. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody should at least leave the country once in their life. Yeah? Travel abroad. Travel abroad. So I'll take it a step further because I thought I went to Spain and I don't know how to speak Spanish. Mm hmm. But it really made me kind of appreciate getting into the culture and trying to at least do my best. It almost made me work a little harder, you know, than if I could speak the... Con the Get you out of your language. comfort. You know, what you can do is you can appreciate other cultures. Yeah. But I think what it does more than anything is it makes you appreciate the country we live in. Yeah, that that's, too. That's what it did for me. Went to... My stepfather and I probably went to... Tw I think it was 23 different countries together. 23? 23. We spent 10 wow. days in each country. Like this was a planned trip that you were going to hit all 23 countries? No, we did one or two trips a year. Okay. For years. And but that I was the goal? I, I, well, just, I, could tra I traveled when I, when I had time and like I said, he wanted to travel, buddy, and we were close. And, but what I, and I love talking to young people. I love talking about government, politics, what it's like to live in there, you know, the history of, and their, their culture. But after all, I, didn't, I don't think it really hit me until I was in my 40s that what it really did for me is appreciate that we live in the best country on the planet, by far. Yeah? Absolutely. What brought you to that realization? Well, we probably have the best we have, we have a lot of land yep. in this country. We have a lot of land, we're spread out. Mm -hmm. So if you wanna, you wanna live in an urban area, you can live in an urban area. You wanna live out, you wanna live on water, you can live on water. I mean, we're in Minnesota right now, there's over 13,000 lakes, you know? I mean, and the opportunity that we have, the education that we have, we have the best medicine, we have the best, we have the best of everything. And it also made me appreciate how rich our history is for a very short period of time that this country has existed. Yeah, I didn't Other countries that. have thousands of years of history. Yep. And they would say, yeah, we got all this history. You only have 250 years. I said, well, look what, look what our country's done in 250 years. True. It's pretty remarkable. You don't get a ton of deep, deep history past 100 years in the Midwest, but when I went to the East Coast, mm -hmm. I was just shocked to see stuff in the 1800s and like 1700s. I was like, wow, headstones, buildings, all sorts of cool history. Hardworking people, and they're everywhere in the world. There's hardworking people everywhere. You take all the people that settled here, they had nothing. They had a they had a hope and a dream that they could provide for their family and stake their claim, get some land, work hard, and be part of something great. And it worked out to the benefit of all of us. Right.
We've only caught one fish and that was by our guide. We haven't had a whole lot of luck, but you know what? We had some fun. Smoked cigars, talked life, learned a little, casts. Heck, we caught a few weeds even. But Jeff, really appreciate it. This has been an awesome opportunity to take box press to a different level. It's been a lot of fun hanging out with you guys. We're not leaving until we catch fish, so <laughs> it's coming. It will be coming. We almost had one. I saw one come up to the boat. It was about this big, you know? It just kept growing as it got Sooner or later, they have to eat. But really want you guys to stay tuned for the next part because that's where we're gonna sit at the end of the dock, really get into Crux Cigars, Jeff, his history, everything. He's got so much experience. So when you're, when you're looking at dealing with challenges such as COVID or any other sort of demographic where you've dealt with, I mean, 28 years of in the business, you've had all sorts of different challenges that you've had to deal with. What are some of the takeaways that you're seeing from having less traffic in the shop, people being at a distance, people wearing masks? What are you seeing as far as some of the future that you can kind of shed a little bit of light on and say, hey, this is something that I've noticed that's going to help change the way I do business for the better. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of businesses during COVID has, uh, they, they've really had to re-examine what they are doing as a business. And so the one thing I told our staff, both for Tobacco Grove and for Crux, is um, we are following a business plan. I always had a business plan. Yep. And uh, you try to, you know, and we try to build our company not in one or two years at a time, but by decade, right? I mean, that's how you truly make quality decisions that anchor your company for the long haul. Then COVID comes along, right? And everybody goes, holy shit, what am, I mean, what am I going to do, you know? Um, so I, I, I told the staff, listen, our, our business plan is no longer our business plan, okay? We're going to throw that through the paper shredder, and we're going to write a new business plan. But I need your guys' help and your input. What, what can we do to offer a new experience to the customer? How are we going to connect with them? And so it's really important to, you know, so a lot of self-examination at the time had right. happened. I think all for the, all for the better, right? Um, you have to adjust. You have to. And you have to self-examine, right. otherwise you can't adjust. If you think you know it and you just keep going down that tunnel, like you said, you kind of get left in the dust. You get, you're not evolving. You're not listening to your customer. That's right. And so... You make changes, hoping hoping that those changes are going to have a positive impact on your business moving forward. You continue to make those adjustments because yeah. you're not going to get them all right. Right. And then you 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 need to have peripheral vision. You need to see what's going on everywhere, right? Right. And so what's happened for me is like I'm not traveling for crux right now. Mm -hmm. right? I, I, I mean, I usually go to Nicaragua every month, and or down to Florida. Our, we have our offices and warehouse are in Boca Raton in Florida. I haven't traveled since March. That was the last time I came back from Central America. And so I have more time to kind of have that peripheral vision, to kind of sit back and say, okay, what do I really need to do sure. to grow our business? You know, in the retail operation, what I noticed immediately is, you know, that store was redone five years ago, but it's showing its age. You know, really? Already? Five years. Five years. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm too anal yeah, on it. You, okay. You got a keen eye for it, right? But I, I said, let's do it again, right? So we had the store remodeled, right? Perfect. It, you know, humidor needed 
better lighting. So we made sure all the shelves had lighting in. We needed new new displays. We needed to freshen up the paint. We needed some new furniture. We needed uh, you know a number of different things. So we identified all those. We got it done. We had a shutdown period in Minnesota for retail, where I've talked to a number of retailers, been on Zoom calls with you know multiple retailers, yep. and a lot of them had weren't shut down. They were still able to do uh, you know curbside. You know, in Minnesota, we were shut down. Right. Yeah. No sales you know, whatsoever. Deemed non-essential. Um, stores that did try to do it, um, sheriff's department was shutting them down. You know, it was it was a little different than I think most parts of the country. Sure. You know, so so we made some adjustments there, and then and then the next phase when they started reopening things, you start. And I realized, hey, this is a good time to change our point of sale system. Right. Sure. We were operating on a dinosaur, of a, uh, yeah. an, old, an old QuickBooks program. So we needed a point of sale system. So we did the work. We found the right one. We implemented. We're going to be able to do, you know, people can do curbside pickup and order online, and they can do this and they can do that, right? So the point of sale system was was critical in improving our business and sure. and and then uh, looking at the analytics, you know. So I want to be able to sure I can make. You know, I'm not in the store every day, so all I can see is what I can see. But I, you know, I. I know what our profit picture is from what my accountant tells me at the end of the month on, sure. on, on the financials, but I'd like to know on a daily basis so if corrections need to be made, they can be made. So the new system allows us to do that. It's also important your, your customer interaction is totally different than it used to be. Right. right? Used to, you know, a lot of times customers, if they're shopping for cigars, they don't want to have those 30-minute conversations with you in, in an indoor space. They want to be in and they want to get out. Right. Right. And so just watching how those interactions took place. Um, for example, I saw a customer came in. He had a mask. He had a mask on. Our staff, our policy is, you know, was right. It's up to you, whatever your comfort level is. But make sure you're socially distancing. Right. Don't put yourselves or our customers at risk. So a guy come in with a mask. He's in the humidor. I saw one of our staff approach that customer. He got too close. Customer backs up. My staff member walks, takes another step forward because he feels like he's too far away. Customer steps back again. I kind of jump in there, throw a mask on and said, hey, I got this one. I know this guy. Let me talk to him. You know, And I did know the guy. Um, but it was a good learning experience for me. What I found out is the guy was going through chemotherapy. He's legitimately concerned about catching COVID-19. And we were invading his space. So it, sure. it, was, it was potentially a situation where he may not come back in because he's uncomfortable, right? right? So we made that change. If somebody's wearing a mask, you match that yep. and you wear a mask, right? If they're not wearing a mask, at, at the very least, you gotta you know, keep your distance, right? Sure. And so that's a, that's a big change. I think, uh, you know, so it's, it's hard when you're wearing masks, to, you don't really see facial expressions, you can look at their eyes, you know, but their eyes aren't smiling and frowning right. and doing this and that, right? So you. you body language if they're fidgety if they're doing that maybe you can read some of that but it's a different experience when people are wearing masks it you know? is it's tough uh, on the retailer it's tough it's it's a, it's a tough time but i think i think the retailers that are doing it right that have made the necessary adjustments that have educated their staff have a good safety action plan in place i think you know and they're taking advantage maybe of some opportunistic buys they're increasing profitability their sales are growing let's face it we all know that People aren't going to work. They're sitting at home and they're and they got a laptop and they're sitting on their patio, right? Right. They and and they have a cigar in their hand, right? And they're working. Some of them have a cocktail in their hand and a cigar and they're working, <laughs> right? So um, I'm not saying that's me. Once in a while, but you know, 
Um, so things have changed, you know, so people have more time. Golf courses are packed. You know, lakes, if you come out to this lake on a weekend, I've never seen the kind of traffic that I've seen now. People are taking advantage of being outdoors. What better, what better thing to do when you're outdoors is smoke a cigar. Exactly. So, so that's changed. So, you know, I think, I think sales are good for the most part. The retailers are making those necessary adjustments. The, the retailers are kind of like, oh, it's all doom and gloom. You're going to be stuck in that. It's doom and gloom, and your sales right. are going to reflect it, right? And so I think people are smoking more cigars than ever. So if you're a retailer that sales haven't increased, may want to make some adjustments, right? right? That's all it is. Ask some questions. Talk to some good retailers. Exactly. Right? We're a very transparent industry. I mean, there isn't a lot of industries like this, right? Exactly. Manufacturers talk to other manufacturers. They help each other out. We, you know, it's a, it's a small industry, right? But um, we, all, we, all, we all want each other to grow for the betterment of the industry. We all want to be doing this in 10, 20, 30 years. There's so many people that are in this business, whether they're retailers or manufacturers, or you know, they're doing a podcast or they're working for whatever. You know, there, there's so many other things they could do with that time to probably make more money at it. Right. But we do it because of this, because of these human connections, and we do it because yep. we love it. We love what we do. So for us, this is one of our top three, right? Absolutely. Would it be one of your top three? Absolutely. Yeah. Having a cigar, good conversation. Probably nothing better. This scenery too. Holy cow! It's what's life? It's getting a little windy out here, but uh, fish, are gonna, fish are going to fish are going to start biting. Yeah, exactly. Probably not. <laughs> we'll catch something. We got some nets. We got some nets. Go cast the net. <laughs> yeah. It's about what I need to fish. Not always the best. I, sunny fishing, maybe a few bass, but other than that, I'm no angler. So. I'm not either. It's like being in the ocean. You ever been deep sea fishing? No. Me neither. Been in the ocean fishing quite a few times though. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I should do it sometime, and I'm sure catching the big fish has got to be one of the biggest highs and adrenaline right. rushes. But I'd much rather go out, you know, where all the fish are moving around, and have somebody bait my hook for me. Yeah, right. Throw it out there, catch it. They take it off for you. Yeah, I just reel it in. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. right. You get the fun. Sounds like you that's your kind of fish. Yeah, exactly. That's the fun <laughs> part, right? Yeah. Just give me the uh, thirty percent of fun. Yeah, I can reel that you get out of fishing, and then yeah. the rest. Eh, that's right. All right. That's right. Baiting, cutting, flaying, not so good at. So, <laughs> but that's good. So twenty years in retail. Great experiences with great customers. Then all of a sudden, you turn around and and. How did you get into wanting to make cigars? Wanting to create a brand? I mean, I, it, in my eyes, it kind of makes sense. It's like, oh, great. I have the place now for people to enjoy great cigars. Let's go tackle making great cigars. Is that how it came about or was it different? Well, I, I think it was different. As I mentioned before, I want to, you know, I, I, think, I think I have a growth mindset. And I think if somebody has a growth mindset, they can't stay in one place, mm. right? And it wasn't that I needed to jump around within an industry. I just knew I was somewhat stuck in where I could go in this industry where I was in the state of Minnesota, right? I mean, to be candid, um, I, as I mentioned before, I had looked at other states to maybe open up a retail store because I knew I could multiply, put the right model together, hire the right people, give the great experience, and I'd multiply that those efforts, sure. right? Minnesota, I couldn't do that. And so... Uh, 
you know, at a period of time, I didn't know if I could stay in the business unless I did something else, you know? And, and as you know, I went and got a real estate license back in 2005 or whatever it was. And, and because I just, I didn't know if maybe I should buy some houses and do something different or, um, but you know, I, I knew that it was gonna be very difficult. Um, and, and in those days, there just, there was, there was very little income. I mean, in 2005 in the state of Minnesota, the tax went from 35 to 70% overnight with a floor stock tax. Wow. Right? I had to shut down a retail store because of it, right? Sure. A couple years later, it goes up to 70%, then ultimately 95%, you know? And the tax in Minnesota was 95%. However, there's a cap, as I mentioned. Uh, but I just realized it just wasn't a, a, a state that I could do, uh, I could grow a business. Right, and I learned everything I could. We're fortunate that we're in a business where people will tell you about their life. Right? Yeah. You can get advice from just about every everybody on just about everything. Right. Right. And uh, we're in a business where people aren't mad that their dishwasher just broke, and they got to buy a new dishwasher and, and fork out the dough. Right. Mm -hmm. They come into a retail store because they they want to buy cigars. They want to have that experience. That's interesting that you say that because it's not a forced buy; it's a luxury buy. It is. And then that experience of enjoying that luxury and, you know, peace, serenity. You don't have to worry about, uh, like you said, if the dishwasher breaks, you got to go figure out which one to buy. That's right. And it's a necessity. Well, for you it might be, but yeah, you know, it's something that you want and you got to get it. But for luxury cigars, you just, you want to enjoy the opportunity to just sit back and relax, whether it be in the shop or out of the shop. Agreed. So that's nice because then it opens up the talking and the conversation to something much more lighthearted and digging into people's passions. So that's right. And yeah. we're fortunate because we, it, it, this doesn't take five minutes to enjoy. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, cigars take, thir, thir, cigars take 30 minutes, uh, an hour, an hour and a half to enjoy. And so, uh, you know, th so those human connections can really take place in cigar stores. Right. You know, you might be passionate about or love like bourbon, but you know you're not gonna spend an hour and a half talking to somebody about bourbon in a liquor store right right you know it could be in, i mean most of the time you're not i mean maybe in some instances right so um so so i what i try to do is just learn and learn and learn and then i realized whatever i was learning maybe i could put it to use what i learned in high school college didn't really apply to anything i was doing right and so um uh, but i did realize i was in a state that i couldn't continue to grow i i love I love the human connections in the cigar business, yep. and and I love being in cigar stores where I build all these genuine relationships. I have these friends, right? I mean, right. what better job is there, if you're a retailer out there, a better job, you go to a retail store and you connect with your friends all day long and smoke great cigars. I mean, it's not a bad gig, Life right? Life doesn't suck. It does not suck. And so I thought, okay, if I can't grow and build more retail stores in Minnesota, how do I how do I have those experiences? And it's maybe for my own personal gain, but how do I continue to fill myself up and, and be in the cigar business and right. maybe at some point down the road make some money? And that's where cigar manufacturing comes in. Because what I noticed was these great cigar makers that are out there, they are flying all over the country, going into retail stores, building human connections with both the retailers and the end consumers, certainly when they're doing events. And that was, fascinating to me yeah. that I could now all I'd have to do is start a brand and I could feel like I owned another four or five hundred retail stores sure and have these relationships all over the country which is exactly what happened so 
that's that was the first light bulb that went off is I can go around and talk about cigars and meet people in other cigar shops, which I love to do. You mentioned before, anytime I traveled, right. I was I was always going into cigar stores and people that love cigars do the same thing. Absolutely. You, know, you love going into cigar stores. Okay, what's their selection? But what's the feel like? What are the mm -hmm. people what are the people about that come in here? Because mm -hmm. they're all uniquely different, right? And so, um, and most cigar stores are very welcoming, right? right. And, and, and the, the good ones. The good ones. The good ones are very welcoming. Very welcoming. You know, there's a few that might be a little closed off. They got the same four guys that come in every day and they don't want anybody else to break up their But even group, then, you know? the great ones that have a good knit core group of people, even their customers love meeting new people that are traveling. You That's know, right. it's, it's that open mindset, like you said, that growth mindset of we're all here enjoying the same great thing and life doesn't suck so right let's not push that on any anyone else let's enjoy each other's company that's it. even if it is for a day yeah you get it i mean that's it that's yeah, great that's it so i thought you know all right well th like i said the, the idea came that all right maybe maybe there's something i should look into and i as a retailer i'd been to a number of different factories you know these different manufacturers were gracious enough to take me along like other retailers and Hey, this is how we do it and here's the process so you really kind of learned a lot and did some research with the other manufacturers to see okay how do I, you do business yes. what's your i core learned model? some i learned some right but but after that light bulb went up no different than anybody that's that wants to start their own business when that light bulb goes off and you know you want to start something the antenna goes up right so you have an antenna that goes up now everything that has to do with possibly growing that company or building that company starts hitting that antenna you you sure. just receive it right and you're taking it and uh, i've got great friendships you know all the cigar brand makers out there i mean as a retailer really helped me because now they became the mentors right, right? and they all and, and i could sit down with any of them i can name a number of them and they all said yeah great idea think it's awesome how can we help right and wow. still supportive to this day right? they wanted you to start your own brand so that they could help you and Yes. and launch something. That's right. So how did you end up in Placencia's presence? I mean, that's your core person that's making, or farmer that's making product for you. How did that relationship start? So uh, kind of a crazy story. Uh, you know, in there was, a, there was a gentleman in Minnesota, that Bill Bach, and he owned a company called Indian Hand Sales. He was friends with Nestor Placencia, okay? I knew Bill Bach very well. Nestor had talked to Bill Bach and said, I want to send one of my sons to a retail store to learn about retailing in the U.S. Do you have any recommendations? And Bill Bach says, you know, your son's about the same age as a guy that I know that owns a retail store. Let me call him and see if he'd be interested. So he does. And I said yes. And, um, and that was Gustavo Placencia, right? So Gustavo Placencia worked in the retail store when I had the store in Minnetonka at that time. Uh, on two different occasions for you know three three months at a time wow. he'd work in the retail store so that's where i learned more about the placentia family the history of placentia and what they met you know and so and at the time they didn't have a brand out of their own line they're just making cigars for everyone else they're growers right they're growers, they're growers are making brands for other people um they probably had a couple couple of cigars out but not selling direct to the consumer right or, not, or direct to the retailer right so so now flash forward I decide I want to do a brand what I realize you know I 
just said, I, I got to learn more about this, right? And not from a retailer's mind, but from a, now a manufacturer's side, what do I need to do to build this type of business? And I, I booked a plane ticket and I said, well, I'm going to go to the cigar capital, which is Esteli, Nicaragua. A lot of factors there. I could learn and absorb a lot from there. Sure. Booked a plane ticket by myself, flew down there, rented a car, took a half an hour to walk around the car because it had so much damage and dents and everything else. <laughs> and I drove down the Pan American Highway, right? Got shook down by the police, gave him some money, didn't lose my license. I mean, this, wow. this is kind of like how stuff happens, you know? And it's, it's kind of the Wild West back then. Well, yeah, and it's it's different now. I mean, it's, it's a little bit different country, but the people are very gracious. And, and now I, I have my routines because I've been there so frequently, you know? And, uh, uh, but I, I, I made that trip. I got to Esteli. I met with a number of different cigar makers, uh, went to most factories, and tried to just learn what I could. And it essentially, built a SWOT analysis. If I were to partner, if I, if, I, if I picked a manufacturing partner, what would they look at? What would they look at? What are the sure. pros and cons, right? And uh, I had the connection with the Placencia family because of Gustavo Placencia, right? But I also realized that I can't, sometimes you gotta, the connections are great and that can help the relationship grow in the future, but I also had to make the best choice, right? right? And so that's not the diligence. reason I picked Placencia as my manufacturing partner. I picked them because of all these other reasons, right? Largest tobacco grower, uh, what they do for their people. They have schools. I mean, they have. I mean, they 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 have a church for their. I mean, what they do, and they're a humble family. Most people don't even know everything they do for their people, right? Right. It's how and they I, care for their workers. It's they 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 generally care for the people that work for them, and other manufacturers have followed suit. In, in a good way, they've realized that that's good. Not only does it feel good, but it's good for building business, right? right. And, and, and retaining employees, right? And so um, it was spending time with them. And then of course, uh, the person that spent the most time with me is uh, Nestor Andres Placencia. And, uh, you know, and he, he took me all the different tobacco growing regions and we, we ride horses together and he, you know, and I've learned you know, he has the passion, you know, his dad had the passion, still does. His dad's still working in the farms every day. Nestor's out there, he's still traveling from farm to farm, and he's running the other the other side of the business, you know, and I just learn and I learn and I learn. And it was probably a couple of years before I was really ready to say yes, because I just didn't want another guy, you know, not that I had a big checkbook. I mean, I had enough money to start a brand, but I want to make sure I was capitalized and I want to make sure that I wasn't just another brand in the market. I wanted right. to be, you know, heavily involved in the blending process. You know, and right? you're not setting out you to know? just make a shop cigar. No, this is not you're a private label. You're setting out to do a national brand. Correct. You know, this is an international brand. Inter right? Yeah, international. Yeah, now. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, and, and because of that mindset of wanting to grow and building more connections, I try to set up everything with that mindset that we're gonna grow and grow and grow. But we're gonna do it slowly. We're gonna do it incrementally. We're gonna make some mistakes along the way, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna ask a lot of questions, like you ask a lot of questions. We're gonna, I'm gonna ask a lot of manufacturers questions. Great. Asking those questions saves a lot of money. Yes. Like it's probably saved me a million dollars, right? I right. mean, not kidding. What are some of the pitfalls uh, that you're trying to avoid? You said you're gonna make mistakes along the way. What What was maybe one example of a, a good mistake that you learned from? Biggest biggest mistake, there, you know, there, there's a couple of. 
I think there's a couple mistakes, like in, in retail, and then and, 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 and most good retailers understand this, right? Most good manufacturers understand this, or at least the ones that have been in business for long enough to go through those mistakes themselves. At retail, it's a pretty simple formula. Listen to your customer. It's their store, like we talked about. Yep. Uh, carry the brands that they want to buy. Absolutely. And then keep them in stock. That, right? It isn't always One, two, about three. price. It isn't always about all the other stuff. But that's a pretty simple formula. Don't run out of it. Well, mm -hmm. that, that's also the true in manufacturing. So even though I knew that in the retail side, I made the mistake in the manufacturing side of, I thought, well, you know what's great is I got to open a bunch of retail stores, but have a bunch of Crux retail partners all over the country, right? And then the sales will just go like this, right? What quickly happened is I ran out of product. So I'd open up a retail store. Now they have a gap on their shelf. They're not happy. They're gonna fill it. Right. Cause that's rental space. You taught me that in the business. You got shelf space. This cigar is paying rent. Gotta pay your rent. On that shelf space. And the longer it sits there, the higher the rent. That's right. And if you, like you said, you can't backfill it and people want it. Now you got, not only do you have a vacancy, you have a vacancy that you could have filled and people wanted it, so it would have paid dividends on its rental space, but you, you can't get it. That's right. And what happens, what happens if they love that brand? Right. And now it's not there. Now the retailers are at risk of losing that customer to another retail store or the internet. Right? And you don't want to put them at risk to say no. Correct. So you not you pared can, down. Right. So I said, okay, let's take back, we don't need, we don't need 500 retailers. Let's get our first 100 quality retailers that we can build long-term relationships with, right? Right. Let's make sure we have product in the warehouse. You can't sell from an empty wagon. Right. Right. And we were trying to build sales with an empty wagon, you know? And so it, it, was, a, it was painful. It was a painful uh, uh, experience to go through. How long did that last? Because you're subject to Four then years. The, the growing and the, yeah. and the rolling and the manufacturing. I mean, a yep. lot of people think, oh, go and order more cigars. Right. You can't, you're, if your wagon is empty, you can't call and say, I need to fill my wagon. They might go, our wagon's empty too. That's right. You, you overshot your expectation. We should have ordered more tobacco. That's right. And so, and, and part of that is, you know, sometimes sales is always a function of distribution, right? But it's also a function of, being a, your supply chain, right? Yeah. You have to have supply. Right. And so slow it down, yep. right? Making sure, and every, listen, I, I'm, I'm a believer and one of my, uh, one of my partners, one of my uh, mentors in my business has always told me, um, you know, let's build this, but we're gonna defer the enrichment, right? If you can defer enrichment in life, not buy everything you want to right now, you're gonna have you're gonna have that wealth in the future, right? Delayed gratification. Right, right. Is what I've learned. Correct. Deferred enrichment. Don't take all the money out, but keep putting all the money back in. So in six years of Crux, I've never taken a paycheck. I don't I actually don't plan on it for, you know, some time. We're gonna right. keep growing it because we've been filling the wagon, right? And now I can say the warehouse is full of product. Retailers call up. They can have. They can be confident when they sell our product. They call a week later, want to do a reload. All right, it's on its way. Right. We couldn't do that before. It was okay. It's going to be another two months before the next shipment comes. Sure. In, you know, um, it just doesn't work. And I think, and I think what you're seeing now in 
in retail stores across the country is the brands that are that have inventory right that can keep the, your shelves full are the brands that the retailers are going to push and so we had to get to that point it was but it took a lot of money it took a lot of effort and um, and we we keep putting that money back in we keep building our inventory and as we build our inventory we're looking at, I'm looking at the data and I'm looking at the reorder rates right I'm looking at how we're growing with our retail partners and then we're making a it, every time you open another retail store it's a calculated risk right. risk is do we have enough resources do we have resources the human resources to fully uh, nurture that relationship and and uh, service that that customer and then are we gonna have enough product right. to keep them filled and not you know uh, uh, short short ship our other retailers and so sure. that's why everything is incremental at this point you know it's just incrementally grow and grow and grow and we're learning because I also know we're probably gonna make some more mistakes well making mistakes as a small company are catastrophic right yeah when you're a larger company when you have all the support when you have when you have the cash reserves and you have the resources both human and financial you can you can make your adjustments right and then recover because you, you have the history right? right you have equity in the brand when you're a new brand you don't have you know one of those cons is there's no equity in the brand right yep. so i mean how many people have seen brands come and go over the years you know Absolutely. i certainly have as growing up as a retailer um you know so so you know you got to incrementally do that right and that makes all the difference in the world with that i think that mindset as well and you know that's what we're going to continue to do is is open up one retailer at a time, making sure that we have the right people to service it, making sure that we have the inventory, making sure quality control is at its highest standard, right? Right. Um, and, um, but as a small company, we're still small enough where even through COVID, through anything else, we, we have the ability to be nimble. We can maneuver, right? Sure. It, you know, so if we need to turn something around, it's a small boat, you know, you get out in this, this heavy water out here and we go out in that little paddle boat there, or this pontoon, right? Pretty easy to turn those around. Yeah. You go out there with a yacht, you know, it takes a long time to turn that around. So being right. small has its advantages where we can be nimble, we can make adjustments, but the, the, we don't have the room for error in, in catastrophic mistakes, product failures, um, non-communication, you know, anything that it really takes one of the building blocks of building a successful sure. business. That's great. I do want to talk about how you set up the boxes because from the retailer's perspective, this there's a lot of retail thought that goes into this box. And you've gone through, I mean, if anyone's familiar with Crux in the past, it was a medieval kind of theme. It had a, a label that was hard to read. I think Charlie Monado from Half Wheel, that was always his biggest dig is the aesthetic of the Crux brand wasn't there. And now we've gone with a very clear Crux uh, logo, writing, very bright. Uh, boxes used to be brown with a lot of brown and, and earth tones. And now we've hit, we got, we got blues, we got reds, we got black, we got, you know, oranges, we got everything in this lineup. The, the bands themselves just absolutely beautiful with that bikini band really just bringing it out and what i love about this is that you have what we like what you taught me is three points of sale you have single stick sales you have five pack sales because these are beautiful five packs 
beautifully presented, and then you have the whole box to sell if somebody wants that. And I just love that because when you're when you're new to cigars or you're young and you don't have a lot of money like I did, you just you love the fact that you can enjoy a great stick, but man, I can't afford a whole box. But when I get this five pack, this feels like a box to me. And when I presented this to some friends in the family, I, I had a few of these five packs uh, and I put them out. Boy, that just really made the whole process seem like this is just a luxury, you know? You peel this off, I gotta open it because, I mean, you peel it off and boom. The presentation is second to none. Just beautiful. So why, why the three points of retail out of your cigars? Why was that so important to your brand? You've had that since day one. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time internally as a team just, just talking about, once again, we, have the, we had the luxury of building a new brand. And we, we, in our old packaging, we had that as well, right? It's always three points of purchase because we're trying to, we're trying to Think about how a retailer will want, you know, if, if I was a retailer, which I was at the time, yeah. you know, uh, what would I want to see? Well, I, I, want, I want the customer to be educated, right? So there's information on the inside of the, uh, information on the inside of the lid. Can't get to it, I can cut my nails. Um, but you know, you have a strength meter and you have some flavor icons. And so you kind of get a general idea of what the smoking experience might be. Um, Everybody was gonna try a single cigar, but that retailer, if the retailer then holds up a single cigar in a five pack, right? Most of the time you wouldn't, as a retailer, you wouldn't hold up the single cigar. You just, you hand the five pack, and, and what happens is the customer just grabs it, goes, all right, I'll just take five, right? So you have that right. opportunity to move from a single to five immediately, right? If that doesn't work, if they smoke the cigar, they enjoy the cigar, they wanna go back for it, they don't have to buy a 20 count box, they can move to a five count box, right? right? Then they can still try some of their other favorite brands. If it's a brand that they're into and they say, okay, that's my stick and, or I need a gift, it comes in the dress box, right? So individual barcodes for each. So it makes it easy for the retailer to inventory and, 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 and have confidence in selling because it's all about more cash register rings for the retailer. Right, and yeah. that's that's all we want to do. If we, if as a partner, we can help you with more cash register rings, sell more cigars. I mean, that's what it's all about. As far as the packaging itself, what's changed over time is you're right. I mean, we we had more of that medieval kind of heavy steel kind of look, um, and um, and that got us to where we are today. Right, right. It had a good edge to it. It was different, it was it was unique, and when we came out of the gates, it was something that people noticed, right? Right. Um, so, um, uh, the person that put together that, that packaging and all that, that those logos and all that kind of stuff, and really a template for how we're gonna market this company, Mark Dom, right? Yeah. A very good friend, became a partner of Crux, um, did an amazing job organizing us professionally uh, through our social media, through our website, creating continuity and everything we're doing. He, he built our foundation for how we move forward as a company. Absolutely. Right? So what happens after five years, we, we decided to take a, listen, we're, we're, we're a company that just wants to sell more cigars. And we want to make more of those connections. And to do that, uh, you know, we're not, we're, I mean, there's no arrogance, I mean, in our business, right? There's no right. room for it when you're building a company. 
you want to examine, self-examine everything that you're doing. And I think a good, good year for that is year five. So sure. year five, we looked at everything we did and we said, okay, let's, let's send out some surveys. Let's send them out to the retail partners. Let's, let's send out some surveys to the end consumer. And what we got back was invaluable. We took that information and then we actually built a focus group on our, on our branding. And we said, okay, let's break that down even further. Sure. And what we quickly realized is even though we liked the branding, it really wasn't getting noticed in the humidor. Sure. Right? Our logo was, uh, was difficult to, to read. You couldn't read the crux. Um, and our, we had a lot of brown. We had a lot of different stuff. You know, once again, to start, it was great. It, mm -hmm. was, it was that edgy, cool look, you know, and I still like that old branding. Um, and I think there's still some people that love the old branding. Uh, right. But to build a long-term company, to build a, an international brand, I was looking for something that, 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 that feedback really showed us that, okay, it's hard to read, it's hard to connect with, just kind of gets lost in a humidor. Okay, well, that was enough all we needed to hear, right? Right. So then we went through a whole new process. We stripped down the brand from the primary logo to the sub-brands, to the iconography for the sub-brands, to the packaging. And we said, okay, here's our second chance at it. How, how can we do this better? And what we decided we wanted was a, a logo that was easy to read, was more elegant, and was timeless, sure. right? And you could say sophisticated and all that kind of, no, I wanted it elegant and timeless, right? Something that we didn't have to, in 20 years, say, oh, you're gonna have to do that again. Right. And if you look at most luxury brands over the course of the last three to four years, They've all changed their logos. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they've no. they've all changed their logos. I mean, it could be Burberry, Burberry. It could be Versace. I mean, all these luxury brands. You know, I mean, Weight Watchers. You know what that logo is? No. It's a WW with a circle around it, right? I mean, they've all changed their logo, and the reason is is because what the research has shown is we're inundated with so many gross impressions through social media. Through, I mean, look how much streaming, look how much screen time we have as people. Right. But you can't have screen time without a gross impression from somebody trying to sell you something, right? Yes. That's just the world we live in. And what happens, the younger generations, they, if it's a complicated logo, if it's, it's, if it's too detailed, it spits it, your brain spits it out. Doesn't, doesn't lock sure. it in. So we, you know, so it's almost like putting your brain on, uh, like your phone has a low data mode, right? Yep. You got your brain kind of goes into that mode when you're looking at screens. I got to hit it. I got to make an impression that's right. not overwhelming. That's right. And so so we needed to simplify it. So um, so that's what we did. Um, we, we wanted to make sure that our color scheme was more vibrant. So we, we, we got away from the browns and, and we wanted to stand out in the humidor a little bit. So when a customer walks in, some retail stores, if you have those great connections and those great relationships with the staff that are working in there, they'll they'll try to hand feed or hand sell your cigars in the humidor. But a lot of times they don't, right? Or a customer just wants to walk right. around. And what's gonna draw their eye in? It's gonna be color, it's gonna be something that's easy to read, it's gonna be, I think, what we kind of put together, right? right? And so uh, the five packs, we used to do a paper wrap. We wanted to, we wanted to up that that packaging as well. So it actually has a, a purpose. Well, the purpose of the five pack, yes, is to create at retail a second point of purchase or an increased sale, but it also has some integrity. So if you throw it in your golf bag, you, you put it in your backpack right. uh, or throw it in a jacket, it keeps the cigars from getting crushed. It has right. some integrity to it, right? Um, and then the, 
the, the cigar box itself, we want to make sure that information that we discussed on the inside of the lid so the consumer could kind of read and educate themselves. And we're going to be doing some stuff in the future, I won't talk about now, that's going to further do it. Some pretty cool stuff. But, um, you know, this box is a very expensive box to manufacture. And the reason we went in that direction is I always had a $5 box. The problem with the $5 box is they're very easy to throw away. Let, sure. You know, when you get over a $10 per box to manufacture, it's more difficult to throw away. Right. Because people don't want to see these things in landfills. You know, there's a lot of consumers out there, even on a simple box, it drives them crazy that they have to throw these boxes and they're going to show up in a landfill sure. and they know you're cutting down trees for it. So he said, if we improve the dress box, right, and then create a refill option for the retailer, then maybe we got something. So that five pack is made with recycled paper. And if the retailer wants, they can, it's the same price whether they do one of these two options. They can order the full dress box of 20 cigars. It'll come just as you see it. Or they can order a refill brick, which has four or five packs, right? Well, we thought maybe it'd be a 50-50. And the retailer said, hey, why didn't you lower the price on, on the refill bricks? Well, we're keeping our prices low because we're hoping that retailers just order refill bricks. Now, right. if somebody's buying a gift or somebody's a box buyer, you may sell a dress box. Sure. But most people that come in and buy boxes of these, they just want four or five packs anyway. They don't want to throw another box away. Right. Right. So our sales <coughs> on the dress box are only about 10 to 15% of our sales. Once we're, once we're in place and on the shelves in a retail store. So now the retailer can make that choice, that kind of that eco-friendly choice of saying, don't need to get rid of the box if consumer doesn't want to take it. I'll just get these five packs, refill my dress box, and you're good to go. That's right. That's brilliant. And I like the fact that this is made out of recycled paper. So we're really trying to be eco-friendly while still having great quality product to showcase in a retail setting. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate it. Thank you for sitting down with us. We got a beautiful scenery. Again, if you haven't tried Crux Cigars, go grab them. There's so many different lines. You make a great Maduro. This Epic here is a great morning stick. That's what we started off with. I was smoking the Bull and Bear. Hard to find, but if you find it, grab it. Any point of sale from single, five pack to a whole box right here. Jeff, thank you so much for just bringing us great sticks, great stories, retail experience. I'm super thankful for my experience in retail with you. It was a huge learning curve and heck, it even landed me a job at Bovida, so. Appreciate it, man. I think you landed the job at Bovida, but anyway, thanks for having me. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about Crux, cruxcigars.com. We have some good videography on, on, uh, on our website. Uh, it explains what we do. We highlight some of the retail partners, And uh, but thanks for tuning in. Uh, you got a great show here, so appreciate the time. No problem.